Okay, uh, good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the first of what I imagine will be many uh, planning policy working group meetings in 2017. Um, apologies for absence and, uh, and a happy new year to everybody as well. Um, apologies for absence and declarations of interest. Janice, is she apology? Was she coming? Sorry, Janice is there. We have a full house then. No, Paul Davis must be an apology. No, you don't. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Paul Davis is an apology. No declarations of interest. Minutes of the previous meeting, which were held on the 28th of November, I believe. Were they a true record? Okay. Thank you. They will be duly signed. Are there any matters arising? Oh, no, we don't do that anymore, do we? Is that right? No? Okay. That means we go straight on, therefore, um, to item... Chairman, can I, can I just say that I know there probably weren't any actions from the last meeting, but it's my understanding that from now on, certainly for this meeting, and we will be having it for scrutiny, there will be a list of actions or things to be finished, a kind of audit trail attached to the papers so but not rediscussed well unless you'll have an update on the action yes but it's a record of what's happened yeah, yeah. okay we don't necessarily need to okay. discuss maggie were you um, planning that yeah great okay thank you very much indeed okay uh, i shall ask mr glenday to introduce our external speaker on item three which is a presentation on the community infrastructure levy Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, yes. Can you hear me? It's working. Share this one. Is that better? Ah, that's better, yeah. Okay, thank you, Chair. Um, yeah, members have requested in the past to have an update on SIL, um, the Community Infrastructure Levy. So we've asked uh, uh, Chris Bowden from Troy Navigus Consultancy to come along. They're the consultants that are working for us on some evidence-based work. So Chris has come along tonight just to give a bit of a, an update on where we're at and obviously answer any questions that members may have. So I'll hand over to Chris. Okay, thank you. Um, evening, everybody. Um, so we were asked, uh, as Gordon says, to, to review where we are with community infrastructure levy SIL, um, which just as a, a sort of brief reminder or for those who don't know, SIL um, is uh, it's a fixed non-negotiable levy on development that if you put a charge in place would be placed on all development of the types of the varying types that would come forward in the district so predominantly residential there are uh, charges that you could place on employment retail pretty much anything else but really the one that actually usually um, bears fruit is a, a residential charge um, in order to put that in place um, there are a, a number of steps looking at vi the overall viability of development across a district and then putting in place a draft charging schedule, consulting on that, uh, and then putting in place uh, a, a final charging schedule, consulting again, and it goes through examination before it is then adopted. Um, but basically, money raised through SIL can be spent anywhere you like within the district or even in theory beyond the district. So it is intended to address infrastructure needs arising from growth. Um, 
Back in, well, between 2012 and 2014, um, the Council um, uh, uh, used uh, external experts to consider whether a seal charge was at, should actually be put in place at that time. Um, uh, those consultants were BMP Paribas. They, uh, at the time, considered that there wasn't a case for SIL, and there were three main reasons for that. Firstly, the, that most of the housing uh, coming through in the local plan and planned for was on small sites um, that could therefore make a, uh, an individual contribution through Section 106 uh, agreements. The second reason was that a number of the strategic sites um, could deliver their own infrastructure needs on site and were also close enough that where there were wider strategic infrastructure issues, they could actually pool their respective contributions to address that. And also the third reason was that the overall level of income that was expected to come from SIL was going to be broadly the same or not much better than that that could reasonably be um, brought through uh, Section 106 agreements. So that was uh, back in 2014. Obviously now we have a new emerging um, local plan. So we've got to really go back and reconsider that position. Um, what we know is that the new local plan is likely to have to, to plan for higher housing numbers. So in simple terms, more housing numbers means a greater, um, a greater potential to earn SIL. Um, also, nationally, um, there is now a restriction on uh, affordable housing, uh, the provision of affordable housing on small sites. So of course, for all those small sites, uh, and a developer looking at the viability of those small sites, um, not having to provide affordable housing would provide greater scope to, uh, to make SIL payments. So, of course, there may be the greater scope to um, secure higher levels of contributions from small sites than there, than there was back in 2014. And obviously now we are looking potentially at new strategic um, allocations um, compared with the, the 2014 plan. Now, the experience from a lot of other places putting SIL, SIL charges in place is that large-scale strategic sites actually end up paying zi uh, SIL at a, at a rate of zero pounds per square metre. Uh, the reason being that the site-specific infrastructure costs for delivering those strategic sites are so high that it effectively makes any further contributions unviable. So quite a common experience elsewhere is that a SIL charge for those will, will cover the whole district, but then for the specific strategic sites across that district, they may actually pay a different rate and a rate that will be at or very near to um, zero pounds per square metre. So we have that to bear in mind. And again, much uh, as there was a situation with 2014, it also depends on the locations of those strategic sites. Um, if they're located close, uh, close to each other, then again, as was recommended in 2014, there may be the potential to use Section 106 uh, pooling to address strategic infrastructure needs. Most commonly, things such as education and transport, where two strategic sites are quite closely um, located, then there could be an argument to say we could pull the contributions from, from two or more sites in order to address those, those needs collectively. 
I, as I've mentioned, um, there is a, a restriction on the pooling of Section 106. So under the SIL regulations, whether you have a SIL in place or not, there is a restriction on the number of um, Section 106 that you Section 106 agreements that you can pool. Um, that's either for specific infrastructure types, such as education transport or for specific items such as for example a new school in such and such a location so you cannot go more uh, you cannot pull more than five individual contributions um, furthermore that the clock starts ticking it has already started ticking on that that is not five in at some stage in the future or when the local plan is adopted it is five five contributions from when the SIL regulations um, were put in place which was back in April 2010 and we've had a look at uh, a lot of the contributions that have been pulled and it seems clear that there are certain for certain infrastructure types such as education leisure um, those uh, pooling restrictions uh, or, or the, the limit of five has already been met or is very close to being met so they're potentially um, the ability to pool um, section 106 for specific infrastructure types is going to be quite restricted now that still leaves you the opportunity of pooling contributions for infrastructure items so again a type is education, an item might be a specific school in a particular location, but obviously you've got to be very, very clear on exactly what the infrastructure item is you want and where it is, because ultimately that will go into the legal agreement and you have to be able to demonstrate that you have no more than five contributions um, for that specific infrastructure item. So really the restrictions on pooling uh, are intended to make it quite difficult for you to use a Section 106 only approach. In other words, the government has wanted to encourage authorities to put a SIL charge in place. In terms of then looking at the potential SIL receipts, um, the 2014 study considered uh, a residential rate of around £100 a square metre. We've looked at other rates in South Cambridgeshire and Chelmsford um, and consider that are in place and consider that for now a reasonable assumption, although we haven't actually done any, no viability work has been done, but a reasonable assumption would be that a rate of around £100 would still hold. Based on if you, if you uh, assume that the strategic sites effectively uh, consume their own smoke in terms of infrastructure and therefore make no contribution to SIL, then you're looking at between two and 3,000 dwellings. Um, you will be looking at uh, a total SIL of somewhere between, say, receipts of somewhere between 14.5 and £22 million, which will work out at about £10,000 per market dwelling. Um, it's a point to note that affordable housing doesn't pay SIL, so it's only the market housing that will make a contribution towards SIL. Um, now, employment and retail may also make a contribution but in many other places, um, the viability of such development is, um, is much more in the balance. And so, therefore, it's unlikely that they are going to net much additional um, uh, by way of seal receipts.
Um, another point to note about SIL is in terms of funding infrastructure is that a lot of other or some other uh, local authorities are trying to use SIL to lever in other match funding. So of course whether it necessarily fulfills all of that infrastructure gap is unlikely but as you build up the money in your pot that you can keep you don't ever have to give it back as a lot of developers can put into section 106 agreements requiring that monies are paid back if unspent. That money comes and can stay in the pot and can be used to lever in other funding to address the infrastructure needs. So really in summary from the work we've done is we definitely think that there's merit in continuing to explore or, or re-exploring the option of putting a sill charge in place by looking at the viability um, and doing some viability testing to establish what a rate would be and also being clear through the work on the local plan as to which key infrastructure items can be secured on the strategic site so effectively they are site specific um, infrastructure items that can be dealt with through section 106. One other important point to note is we talked about, well, the emerging strategic sites, which ones will be ultimately in, in the plan. Um, if West of Braintree is in the, in the emerging local plan, then it will be important to agree a consistent mechanism for securing infrastructure contributions uh, along with Braintree District Council for the whole of the strategic site. Um, it'll be a extremely difficult if there are two different types of approaches for securing infrastructure across um, the two district boundaries. And the last thing I'll say is um, that much has changed in the world of SIL since 2014 and it could yet change again. The housing white paper that is supposedly due any day now, um, it may well prove that the review of SIL that's been undertaken by the local plans expert group that has been appointed by the government, the recommendations from that may come out and may be included in the white paper. I have no reason to suggest that necessarily it would mean that we'd be getting rid of SIL or that it would radically change, but it is something to be aware of and we should know about that sooner rather than later. Thank you very much indeed. That was particularly helpful. Uh, I'm sure there's some questions and uh, uh, Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Chairman. Yes, uh, very interesting. And so uh, sector scene. Um, obviously sub, su somewhat uh, subjective considerations you've, you've talked about. I just wondered throughout the plan process that our, our, and our new timetable which we'll be talking about later, will we be, will, will we be looking at SIL considerations at the various steps as we go through the, the building of the plan? You know, really how are we going to handle it from now on? Well, I'll seek guidance from officers on that, but I don't know about every stage, but clearly, I mean, what you've heard is the history, why the decision was taken in 2014, it's still, the decision still seems to stand up as being a legitimate one at the time, and obviously circumstances have changed and could well change again with the white paper, so I don't think we'd do very much before we heard the white paper, uh, but then dependent on that and what we've heard tonight, then of course we'll be reviewing what is best for for Uttlesford. But did you want to add anything, either Mr. Harper or Mr. Clendo, on that? Um, 
Is this one working? Yeah. Um, yeah, yes, Chair, I think um, what you said is absolutely correct. I think once we clearly establish where we are with the white paper, if there are implications in terms of the, um, the, the pooling of Section 106, we'll be in a better position. I think it's worth, um, you know, depending on what, what we do with the timeline, I think it may be worth doing a further analysis with Troy uh, Navigus uh, in terms of what likely uh, fee and uh, sorry, uh, infrastructure could be brought forward and what funding could be brought forward through the various options, whether we do the Section 106 or whether we do SIL. Um, again, it's, it's, it's very much in the hands of the white paper, I think, for this, for this, for this stage. But I can add, you know, the administration is absolutely open-minded about this. We're, we're not pro or against SIL, so we, we, we need to do what, what, is the, what is the best thing for Uttlesford. I've actually got a couple of queries, if I may. Um, one, you talked about new settlements in terms of consuming its own smoke. Were you particularly talking about garden settlements there? So if something wasn't modelled on the it, it, prior investment, um, how does that then work? Presumably they make a contribution. Um, well... Yeah, I mean, the experience is any kind of strategic scale site, any site that's large enough that's more than several hundred homes, certainly once you're getting into the high hundreds, most of the other authorities, the, the, the cumulative infrastructure um, shopping list, for want of a better word, and the associated costs with that mean that um, there isn't enough uh, that would undermine the viability if you then put the seal charge on top. So um, really that's why uh, local authorities that have got a seal charge in place will often have a sort of donut around their respective strategic, strategic scale sites, whether they are garden, garden settlements or uh, urban extensions or whatever. Uh, I mean, Chelmsford is a good example. It's northeastern growth area. That was uh, zero. Pays, pays still at a rate of zero pounds per square meter, but is obviously an urban extension of Chelmsford. So it's not necessarily to say different strategic sites might be dealt with differently. The experience elsewhere is that pretty much the infrastructure costs are so high that they cannot bear a seal charge in addition. So these would be statutory requirements, presumably, in terms of infrastructure, education, affordable housing? Yes. I mean, the, the, the two biggest infrastructure items consistently for any scale of development are transport and education. Um, affordable housing is, is dealt with slightly differently. It's, it will always be dealt well. It is dealt with under Section 106, whether you have a sill in place or not. Um, but obviously, there is in the viability work there is the consideration of that cost of affordable housing. But really, it's transport and education most of the time that, that um, represent the significant majority of total infrastructure costs. And my second question was the pool of money that would then be available for the district. What are the models elsewhere in terms of how that's handled? That's a good question, because um, obviously you as the charging authority um, basically have that's your purse and you can decide how to um, spend that money um, but you're going to have the county um, the, the CCGs for health 
police, etc., everyone putting a call on that. So I think it's very, very important that um, uh, a group approach and that an agreed set of governance and decision-making principles are put in place. And some uh, authorities have discovered that whereas they thought the hardest bit was actually setting the charge and getting it through the examination, they've subsequently discovered that putting in place appropriate governance to make sure that the money is spent effectively um, is, is, is actually much harder. And of course you do have time for that because it's a theoretical until you've actually built up a large enough pot of money to make it worth spending and that does take time. Thank you. Councillor Parker. You mentioned CCGs. Um, it's very interesting. People out there believe that this council puts doctors in place and, um, and whatever. Can you explain a bit more how SIL and CCGs interact? Because residents say, we don't mind the housing, we'd like the roads, we need the schools, and we need some doctors. And it's very difficult to explain that this district council cannot just produce a doctor surgery and produce doctors. Um, well, doing a lot of um, infrastructure delivery plan work, um, I've come to the conclusion, it didn't take much to come to the conclusion, that health is just about the most complex, complex area of infrastructure planning there is out there. The main reason being, notwithstanding that there's regular change in, in the health sector, is also that long-term planning in, for, for health authorities such as CCGs is anywhere between three and five years, whereas development planning is 15 to 20 years. Um, it's, I mean, actually, funnily enough, doing some other work across Mid and North Essex um, uh, with those respective CCGs, I think they have struggled to engage with this process effectively in the past. So I think one of our other recommendations has been to update the infrastructure um, delivery plan uh, for, for the district sooner rather than later and engaging with um, Mid-Essex CCG is going to be really, really important because they have that relationship with those GPs and of course GPs can own their own surgeries, they can be owned by other separate companies. I mean there's so many complex models and what they've told me is at the moment it's all changing because of course we're moving to very different models of provision as well. So I'm not sure I'm necessarily answering your question very well other than to say yeah, I mean the message to everyone is it's phenomenally complicated but I'm not sure how well CCGs, and I think they'd admit it themselves, um, have engaged with um, local plan, local planning authorities um, and certainly with the fact that infrastructure provision for growth should actually be reflected through the IDP process um, and through thinking about the viability of development and making sure that a local plan says we will have land for that surgery um, and they are given a long enough lead-in time to be negotiating with their various partners to make sure there is actually ultimately a surgery there with some doctors in it. Thank you. Councillor Mills and then Councillor Dean. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I wondered if you could just clarify the £100 a square metre, that's per square metre of built-up housing, is it? Yes, it's, yes. Of, so if you build a new house that's, yeah, that's so 100 it's, square metres, it's, it's 100 it's times 100. It's the plan area, yeah. Yes, it's the net additional. So if you knock any down, you have to, you have to take that right, off. Take but on off. a brand new house that's built on a green plot, yes, it's for every additional square metre of So when you quoted the 3,000 houses, that 14 to 22 million was based on that as a square meterage rolling out, yeah? Yes, exactly. It's the so that 14 to 22 would be over the whole plan period? Yes, on okay. those two to three thousand houses, so obviously that's excluding any strategic sites, 
Um, but sure. yes, that, that would be from, just from residential development. And do you know how much we received last year, for instance, from Section 106? No, I mean, that's the one thing that we haven't been able to um, interrogate, is to know how much has come from Section 106 agreements. Okay. So, obviously, it's, you know, it's fairly arithmetical, isn't it? If we can work out what we normally get, and we can work out what we're likely to get, then we know perhaps which way to go. Yes, notwithstanding the restrictions on pooling. Yeah, um, sure. And I think I'd say on that it is an important issue because I'm not saying that anybody's done anything wrong, but I think certainly, for example, county through having a standard approach of seeking a certain proportion of money for education from every development, if every single section 106 says we're going to have a a sum of money for education, then you're actually breaching the pooling. Now, I think this has been quite a complex area that a lot of people haven't got their heads around, but you could get caught out at any time in the future where someone, a developer, could say, hang on a minute, I'm not contributing to that because you've already breached your pooling limits. And the only way you can get around that is by saying, we'll have money for a specific school and things like that. And I think the Education Authority will tell you that's just really hard for them to do. Okay, thank you. Councillor Dean. Yes, thank you, Chairman. I wonder if we could be given some idea from experience elsewhere of the kind of system resources that need to be put in place to actually run an effective SIL system. Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier about um, governance arrangements. Um, do, do, is there, for instance, a need for more work and therefore more effort to be put into understanding one's district and what the infrastructure weaknesses are that you'll be wanting to tackle uh, as, as well as the what you might call day-to-day -day administration of it once it's up and running. Yeah, I mean, it'll be important. Um, I mean, for the old plan, the district produced an infrastructure delivery plan, and it will be important. That's a key part of the evidence base that will underpin, well, one, the local plan, and two, any SIL charge should you decide to put one in place. You need to demonstrate what the infrastructure burden is, what the cost of that is, and therefore the fact that you need a SIL charge. Um, so it's, it's, that's very important to really understand, one, whether a SIL is worthwhile putting in place, and two, being able to take that forward. In terms of once you've got a SIL in place, um, I mean, many authorities, most authorities do have an officer, either full or part-time, who would be effectively the SIL officer. I mean, that largely, for many, takes the place of a Section 106 officer, as some, some still have a lot of authorities used to have, but um, the, the, there is an administrative um, burden of sending out the notices, etc., 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 everything through from telling people to collecting the money and then obviously reporting back to um, the appropriate governance bodies who will then decide how to spend it. So if the SIL is in place, then there will, will need to be an officer that would oversee uh, the administration of that. Can I just clarify, my understanding was that the costs associated with that officer can be deducted from the SIL contributions? That is true, yes. The administration of SIL, you can use SIL money to pay for the administration of SIL. So it could, in theory, be um, uh, nil net cost to uh, the authority. I don't know how, what the experience of other authorities is in terms of those costs and how, how much that's sort of eaten into their SIL, SIL budgets and things, but yes, it's true to say that you can use SIL money to pay for the 
for that, uh, that resource. Well, thank you very much. That was excellent. And uh, I'm sure we'll be continuing these dialogues because, as Council Lodge says, obviously we want to make the right decision. So, uh, as evidence develops, yeah, keep discussing. Thank you very much for coming. So, that takes us on to item four uh, progress update on the local plan evidence base. And is, okay, um, Mr. Fox, but um, I believe we have a speaker for this item, is that correct? Yep. Is that. Uh, <coughs> Nick Behenko-Smith. Yep. Um, so what we normally do is to hear from Mr. Fox and then from yourself. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you Chairman. Um, the, the paper you've got in front of you, and I apologise, it, it was somewhat late in preparation, is actually the, the evidence which has been commissioned since the pause, or in a way as, as part and parcel of the pause, because clearly the, the, the pause happened because we there was the need to gather some additional evidence. This paper sets out what is in train at the moment. Uh, the final con says on nearly all of them timetable being prepared. That's because there's, there's a meeting towards the end of this week where we'll actually finalise all the end dates for all those pieces of evidence. This table forms part of a much, much larger spreadsheet which uh, covers all the evidence that we, has been completed to date. Um, and it's almost sort of too large to actually put in paper form in front of you, Chairman. But, but we, we have it in the office, and if anyone wants to have a look at it, it's there. It says every piece of evidence um, that, that we have done uh, to date. The final part of the evidence base, which again is not here, is some uh, further work that we might need to do. Um, and this is because as we move forward, some of our existing evidence base, of course, in itself gets out of date. And there is government guidance, Chairman, about how regularly particular things such as uh, the strategic housing market assessments and employment and retail studies need to be reviewed. So what I'm saying, Chairman, is we have, we have to keep our eye on the watch, as it were, because some of the work that we've actually already undertaken may in itself, uh, as we move forward, become out of date, so we need to undertake further reviews. So uh, that's essentially it, Chairman. Uh, obviously, there's a, there's a speaker, uh, and then after that, I'll be happy to take any questions. Thank you very much, Nick. <clears throat> ah. Good evening. Um, first of all, Happy New Year to everybody. Um, let's see what 27 brings. Um, I do have some questions in this um, speech. However, please regard them as rhetorical. I did send my speech in earlier today, but I was unsure whether or not this meeting was going ahead. Um, so, um, once again, thank you very much for allowing me to speak on behalf of Circle. Um, there are four topics I'd like to address this evening. Um, the first one is garden villages. Um, councillors are probably aware of the recent announcement by the government of a new batch of garden villages. Um, you may or may not be aware that reading through the various broadsheet papers, both left and right of the political spectrum, um, there seems to be an indication that the government is putting their faith in smaller garden developments. Um, the reason why is they're faster to build and more likely to assist the government in meeting its housing targets. Um, large garden cities are really taking four to five decades to complete. Um, there's also a growing political backlash on what one paper stated as a war on the countryside. Um, and it's now with senior Tory MPs and ministers starting to speak out against building larger garden cities. 
In fact, two papers, one of them being the Telegraph, um, also indicated that the PM support for garden cities is waning and specifically support for Ebb's fleet development is quietly being scrapped, was their quote. Um, the second topic is the Lord Kerslake report on BDC's local plan, um, and I must say that before I go any further, Lord Kerslake and the team are very pro-development. Um, but what was the result of the report? Well, um, all we can really go on at the moment is the details of what was released by BDC Press, which effectively has praised the councils for working together, but from experience, um, people can work well together but may not produce the right end result. Um, but behind this is the real point of the report, uh, which was fundamentally insufficient evidence to support the chosen locations of development sites and why some were being refused. Um, fundamentally, it's now delayed their plan. This is a biggie. Um, the third one is land development vehicles. This is the way of being able to finance um, major garden communities now. Um, we've looked at this data and for the west of Braintree, the initial estimate of costs is nearly £900 million, and that's just for the BDC side of the west of Braintree. And we've put some estimates together for the UDC side, and it could be in the region of 200 to £300 million. Now, these are just initial estimates, and from our evidence of previous major infrastructure projects, those costs may rise. They definitely won't go down. Um, allocation of costs is a big area. Um, what they're doing is they're allocating the costs for each of these projects um, equally. So the costs for the UDC side may be two to three hundred million, but the overall costs towards the project for UDC could be up to four hundred million. Um, again, it depends how they actually put those um, costs together. But it's not just project costs that we've reviewed, it's the maths. Um, they don't add up. We've done a very simple calculations that just don't add up. But this is the most alarming statement of the, within the LDB, LDV report. The sensitivity test indicates that the scheme remains viable under the majority of scenarios with the exception of a 10% fall in baseline house values. Now, in my experience from a career in investment banking, that should raise a red flag. Um, I've never ever come across a sensitivity test scenario that can project decades into the future with that level of confidence. That is a huge, huge risk. Um, and the last topic I'd like to raise is the subject of evidence on duty to cooperate. Um, Circle notes that minutes from some DTC meetings were attached to the meeting agenda, um, and that is encouraging. Um, however, I'd like to remind the working group of the statement from the minutes of the PPWG, November 26, 2015, action to circulate a timetable of future duty to cooperate meetings to all members of the working group and ensure that all minutes of these meetings were reported as soon as they were available. So, Circle looks forward to seeing the minutes from UDC's meetings with BDC regarding the West of Braintree. So really, just to summarise my points, um, government political support may be waning for garden cities, going for smaller, less politically charged garden communities. Um, the Kerslake report found potentially evidence was unsound. Um, the report to support the feasibility of the West of Braintree ED LDV is fraught with risk and the numbers don't add up. The potential costs to UDC could be upwards of $400 million with no ability to recoup those costs within a reasonable time frame. 
Good return of investment? Who knows? Um, and also the UDC de- UDC's evidence for the DTC meetings with BDC is still outstanding. So with these points in mind, and many of the other issues that we're actually bringing forward at later dates, um, I would assume Council would wish to discuss the questions, question, sorry, should we maintain the risk of development within our border and within our control and then assess feasibility of developing a garden city with BDC maybe in the next plan period? Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, obviously all your comments have been noted will be part of the minutes and um, we will come back to those, not as you say this evening, but they're not rhetorical questions actually, they are real questions and we have taken note of them. Um, and certainly the, your last point, um, we shall, uh, we, that's something we can do something immediately about. Um, going back to uh, Mr Fox's presentation, um, what I don't want in 2017, and I want to nail it as quickly as possible, is any kind of discussion about project planning. I want to hit the nail uh, immediately so that all members, um, not just of this committee, but in the Council are crystal clear about the plan. Uh, We appreciate this is not uh, a project plan, um, and that's going to come later. Um, You might give us an indication when we've got a clear project plan, Um, but obviously what you have put here is is very helpful and um, covers a number of the key points of evidence that we're aware of. Any other? uh, Councillor Dean. Uh, thanks, Chairman. I'll endorse your last point about the need for a project plan because quite clearly we've got to um, have our foot on the pedal now and we've got to know what the map is um, uh, to make sure we arrive at the right place at the right time. I, I'd just like to pick up um, on the local plan evidence update. There's um, an item just below halfway down. It says highway tests and modelling South Cambridge and it says uh, duty to cooperate to agree what testing is required and reasonable um, if, if you I'm sure you remember at the last council meeting I, I raised the question to try and understand what um, dialogue had taken place with South Cambridge because it was an issue over members of the public um, making freedom for information requests and not getting any information from this council but they did get some information from South Cams and from what I, from my reading of that we, we had carried out our um, last consultation roughly a year ago and, and the um, South Cams came back and said well we, you know, we note that you're looking at one possibility of a site in the north of the district and that there are matters that we would like to talk to you about, one of which was highways. Um, Has there, since that time, which is getting on for a year ago, has there been any real dialogue on what to identify what the factors are before getting down to doing I mean, this is talking about getting on and doing some testing, but do we at the moment know what their main concerns are that need to, might need to be mitigated? Were that, to hap- you know, were that scheme to happen? Um, I'll ask an officer to, Mr Fox to answer uh, specifically. Um, just to let you know that I and Councillor Barker are meeting both members and officers this Friday from 
South Cams. Yeah, that's mentioned in the papers. Yeah. Later on. Um, and I don't normally do duty to cooperate, as you know. Councillor Barker does that. Uh, but uh, I'm interested to understand. But I also remind you um, that part of the um, pause and the evidence that we want to get out of the pause uh, was there, there are five elements to that. The first is numbers, and obviously there's been movement on that and might be further movement in the white paper. The second is the A120 developments, and we've just heard from Behenko Smith, but obviously um, Troy and other consultants are working to answer many of the questions that were raised pre-Christmas about that. The third is the queries around Saffron Walden and the possible other alternative models and link, link roads, etc. Um, and, uh, uh, and the fifth is Great Chesterford and um, what is the real evidence behind that. Um, so all of that is in hand, um, but I will ask Mr Fox to elaborate. Yes, to answer your question, Councillor Dean, through you, Chairman, the answer is yes, there have been further discussions with Cambridge. Uh, that's, that's combined South Cairns and Cambridge because they are joined as, at the hip, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, there is actually an officer meeting as well tomorrow um, where we'll be covering some of these issues. The, the specific uh, things which we'd like to discuss with them are... As part of our highway modelling exercises, we, we've clearly gone north across the border because of the impacts on the road networks of some of our potential developments that, that, that they will have in Cambridgeshire. So we've been in liaison with uh, Cambridge County Council about that. Now, they've asked for additional modelling and testing to be done on certain, of the, certain roads in Cambridgeshire. And one of the things we're, go we're going to be discussing with them tomorrow is to find out exactly what's the appropriate level of detail, how much we need to drill down this and get a better understanding of some of those issues. So they've been flagged to us by uh, Cambridge County Council at the moment. Um, the meeting is actually with uh, the director of South Camp, so we'll be looking at p the potential, you know, what the implications might be, not just on our side of the border uh, for potential development in Great Chesterford, but also on their side of the border with all the biomed clusters and what repercussions that might well have for ourselves. So, so, that, so there, has, there has been contact since uh, the date that you referred to. There's been uh, uh, meetings and telephone conversations, but tomorrow, if you like, and the meeting on Friday that the leader referred to, uh, if you like, sort of fairly formal duty to cooperate meetings with them. If I could just go back, Chairman, as well, to update on where we are in the project plan. Uh, we did have a, a team session going back now, I think it was probably a week or so ago, Gordon, where what we did was we mapped out the new evidence that we're gathering and looked at that in the context of the governance of the local plan. And that essentially, Chairman, will be the project plan that you, will, that you will get. I'm looking at Gordon for any further update on that, but that's, that's pretty much where we are. So what we've done is we've, we've gone back and looked at it again, uh, Chairman, in the light of this additional evidence that, that we are having now to collate. Thank you. Could just, just come back. I mean, so it sounds as though there's still a lot of work to be done before we'd be in a position to reach any judgment on any of these sites, including that one, to have the evidence that we're looking yeah. for. Yeah. But, but that evidence 
has been called for, and yes. I believe Troy yes. are involved. Yes, and, and, and sorry to, to, to butt in, Chairman. Yes, I mean a part of the discussion will be the extent of evidence that we need yeah. to gather. Yeah, but it, I mean, what I'm saying is, it sounds as though the real work, if I can call it that, is about to start. Uh, and, and I think not, it starts. There's more ahead of us than there is behind us in, in terms of what's been done. Could I just want, ask one more thing? I just remember that in the um, correspondence that I referred to at the last council meeting, it had referred to um, a meeting between um, appropriate cabinet members from the two councils and it did specifically say, the correspondence did say that uh, these were unminuted by officers. Can I seek an assurance that all these meetings will be minuted so that we have an audit trail? Yeah, you can. Yeah, and thank it you. will be. Okay. Uh, anything else on item four? No, in which case we'll move on to item five, the action plan for the local plan. Excuse me, thank you, Chair. Um, members have in front of you uh, a draft action plan that comes from a piece of work that was actually commissioned by scrutiny panel. Um, the report will be going to scrutiny on the 17th of February, but we felt it would be useful to bring the draft plan with some of the proposed draft actions to PPWG tonight so that anything, any comments that PPWG have can be input into that. Um, I think it's worth saying from the outset that actually the, the findings and the recommendations that PAS have come up with um, are pretty much in line with some of the stuff that we were doing anyway. So things related to the, the one of the actions, well, just going down the first list, the, the first action there is about um, giving consideration to this Regulation 18, this preferred option additional consultation stage. Um, I think that that is something that we are looking at already in terms of the, the previous question about the evidence base. That's something that in terms of the project plan and evidence base we are currently already looking at. Clearly we haven't had a decision yet from, from members on that but um, we're doing work behind the scenes looking at what the implications would be on a project plan and evidence base of a regulation 18 stage being added or else we would just carry on with the, the project plan as it is. So just working down the, the actions just very briefly, and then if there are any questions, obviously you can come to that. The, as I say, the first one is about that um, Regulation 18 consideration. Um, that's something that we will touch on in a further paper further down the agenda as well, so we'll, we'll wait for that then. The second point touches on the sustainability appraisal. Um, members hopefully are aware that we have a workshop scheduled for the 1st of February. Just to stress, that's a member-only workshop at this stage, so it's, it's, it's just to bring members up to speed with some of the work, again, that Troy Partnership is actually looking at in terms of <coughs> the spatial scenarios that are, are, we are looking at. I think it's worth saying at this stage, again, through the, the PAS findings, um, something that we've touched on at previous PPWGs was the 2016 figure from the Schma, which were 14,100 as opposed to the 2012-2014 figures of 12,500. And there's a strong recommendation that we look at the higher housing figures. So again, that's something that at that session on the 1st of February, we will be picking up with you to, to brief you on, on the implications of doing that. Um, they've also picked up again, a bit related to that really, is about this uncertainty around the, the, the scale of housing and the location, etc., of you know, where that is actually all going to be going. Um, it was mentioned earlier about the, the white paper. 
you know, there's obviously some stuff in the press. Um, you know, there, there's stuff going around in the in the planning officers' various meetings that we go to um, around what may or may not be included in the white paper that will be coming out hopefully in the next week or so. And it's it's clear to the planning profession that the in terms of the housing numbers. Um, the only way is up. I mean, the housing numbers are going to be up. It's a national agenda, and I think you know we have to flag up to members now to be prepared for the fact that the the housing assumptions and the figures that we're looking at may well be you know need to be considered to be increased, and we need to think about how we will actually deal with that in terms of the local plan moving forward. Um, in terms of the uh, infrastructure delivery plan, again, we've already been doing some, we've done some work on that, and there's additional work being done on that from the 2016 plan. Again, these, is, these are pieces of evidence that kind of ties back to this Regulation 18, depending on what we do and how we move forward, what the infrastructure delivery plan, so that all these things are actually all interrelated. So really, in terms of getting that decision on how we move forward, the plan is quite crucial um, to work out exactly how we move forward. We are obviously looking at various scenarios in the background, but once we get that decision, we'll be able to come back to you and say, right, on the basis of doing X or Y, the implications for the project plan are this. Um, the other few there, I mean, in terms of habitat regulations and the duty to cooperate, we've, we've mentioned a little bit on duty to cooperate. That's what is being on, you know, ongoing. There's a report next on the duty to cooperate update with some papers on how that's actually being dealt with. Um, it was suggested that we have a separate section on the brain tree duty to cooperate, which again we'll do, and that relates to some of the work we're working on then with the memorandum of understanding. And the final point that was just listed there was that it was suggested that we have a specific criterion-based policy on gypsy and travellers. And again, at this stage, we are saying that we should be considering that, and that's something as part of the, the plan moving forward that we would take on board. Um, I think that's pretty much the, the, the broad brush um, actions. Clearly, scrutiny on the 17th, we'll be looking at that in a little bit more detail, but we felt it would be worth having some feedback from PPWG tonight so that that could be fed back into that process. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Questions, comments around that? Headlines that aren't included on that paper? Uh, Councillor Mills, Councillor Dean, Councillor Lodge. <clears throat> um, if I could ask Mr Glenday, um, if we're looking at the increased numbers, um, what exactly are Epping, Harlow and East Hearts doing as far as the 2014 or 2016 numbers? Which numbers are they looking at? Through the chairman, I can answer that. Yes, the East Hearts and Epping uh, have both gone out to consultation on their respective plans with a figure in between those, the 2012 and the 2014 projections. Um, if you recall, um, there was a piece of work done by ACOM which looked at the spatial distribution of the, the 20, initially on the 2012 projections, halfway through, through that process of 2014 projections, the new projections came out last summer. They looked at both of those and recommended for the Shamar area as a whole a figure in between those two. Um, and that was the case for both of those, both of those authorities. Um, I'll get into Harlow in a minute. Uh, so both Epping and East Hearts have gone out to consultation with a figure in between essentially. Uh, so they haven't gone out on the 2014 projections for either, either of their local authority area, but a figure higher than 2012 but lower than 2014. Harlow is a bit more complicated because um, the, I think from memory they are going the figure around the, uh, and 
sorry, don't, don't minute this because I'm doing it from memory, around the 2014 projection because the spatial distribution strategy is to focus development in and around Harlow. But, but certainly Epping and East Hearts, it's lower than 2014. Can I just clarify then, the 14,100, is that the 2014 figure? Yes. Or is that a compromise figure between the two like the other authorities are doing? Through you, Chairman, no, no that, that is the 2014 figure. So and we could be looking at an additional 1,000 houses on the 4,600 we were looking at? Put, yeah, potentially, Up to yes. 1,600 more, put, put, but somewhere in there. Through, yeah, through, through you, Chairman, potentially, potentially yes, but I would stress, sorry if I can just put a, a little caveat on that, the starting point is uh, we've been advised by the Visiting Inspector and the Planning Advisory Service to, to take it as the starting point. That's... That's the expression that is used, and what we need to do is to have tested that figure. It doesn't necessarily mean that because of environmental constraints, transport considerations, and all sorts of other things, that the, the capacity of Uttlesford might in fact be lower than that 14,100 figure, but the strong advice and guidance we've got is that we need to take that as the starting point, just to be clear on that. Just to be clear on this, so you're saying the 14,100 could go up? If it's a starting point, yeah? Uh, potentially, well, and again, we're talking about the housing white paper as, housing white paper as yeah. well. So think, think of 14,100 as a very clear steer from the um, inspector who came to, um, to go through this with us. Um, uh, but then the, the, there is some suggestion that the government might be indicating numbers in the white paper. We don't know that for certain. I don't want that minuted or to start a rumour, uh, but it has been discussed. So on the basis that um, the white paper is close, we could well get some clarity around numbers from the white paper. If not, we have to make a decision in terms of whether we're going to take the advice of the visiting inspector and the other evidence or whether we use the, uh, the ACOM um, base. And we'll have to make that decision in the light of quite a number of factors and obviously this, this group would be pivotal in, in making that decision. Uh, sorry, then Councillor Dean. I'll, I'll reserve my comments on the, the action plan until next Tuesday when we will be having a scrutiny committee meeting here and where the uh, full report from the consultants who worked for the Planning Advisory Service will be discussed. That, that report's already on the website for next mm -hmm. Tuesday evening's meeting. Yep. But I just thought I'd like to pick up the item under Regulation 18 because it, it seems to me that it would be useful at this stage to give some public assurance. We're coming to that. It's on the agenda. Pardon? It's on the agenda. We're coming to it. You're going, you're going to take it separately? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not on the formal agenda at no, the moment, so I, I wasn't do. quite sure where we were going to pick it up. If we're coming yep. back to it, then that's fine. I'll leave that. Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Chair. Just, just first of all, following on what on an early point, particularly from Councillor Mills, I think we ought to make it clear, though, sure, at the moment, our number is 12,500. Correct. For all purposes Correct. that we may be yep. discussing, that yep. developers may be looking exactly. at, that's the number. So yep. that ought to be clear and yep. minuted and, and, and yep. anything else in the right. future. Yep. Um, the, the, the point I wanted to make was, was regarding, really, the action plan bit that seems to be missing for me, and that, and that was some uh, more significant work on, uh, on new settlements. 
Now, we, we don't know where the, the new settlements are going to be, but I think it's pretty well accepted we have to have one at least, maybe two, the, the way numbers are going. And my concern is that we do seem to be falling behind our neighbours in, uh, in working, working up the plans. So as, as we know, the, uh, the three councils in Essex have already set up their, uh, uh, their vehicle, what the, 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 the overarching vehicle for the development of those, the settlements that they see. Um, we, we know that nearby in Cambridgeshire they, they have one and Newtown going into, into a second one. It seems to me that in the action plan, I, uh, we were, I would personally like to see a lot more action on investigating the vehicles that we may be able to set up, looking at the feasibility of the possible sites with developers. It just seems to me overall this plan is light in that area and I'd like some assurance that um, and I know some work has been going on with, with one consultancy but um, the information doesn't really seem to have flowed through to the, to, the, to the working group and so I'd like to see more of that and assurances that there is a lot more work going on in the background. Mr Harborough. Yes, if you look at the report to Tendering District Council and to Braintree and similarly Colchester's reports because they're all basically on the same model, you will see that they are at pains to separate out their local plan preparation exercise from consideration of what <coughs> mechanisms might be put in place to deliver uh, uh, local plan proposals if those local plan proposals do include new settlements on garden settlement principles. So it, it is important that we do keep the two bits of work separate and that we don't um, inadvertently uh, uh, allow our decision on the local plan to take into account considerations which should be kept entirely separate. However, just in support of, absolutely, we completely hear that, in support of what uh, Councillor Lodge has just said, in terms of an action plan, in terms having a piece of work that is considering the vehicle, notwithstanding what you've just said, Mr. Harper, the vehicle, that it would be good to have that on the action plan. We know it's going on, but we'd like some visibility and, and, and we'd like to get an update on that. Yeah, perhaps I could add to that. Um, I appreciate that we haven't reported it to this particular working group. There has been reference to the umbrella organisation for the North West Essex um, Garden Settlements and indeed the specific delivery vehicles that might be set up in particular locations. Well, that structure, the overarching structure, does have provision for Ruttleford District Council to join that structure were um, a proposal to come forward in the West of Braintree location which did involve Ruttleford land. So work has been done um, and uh, you know, we have indeed separately taken our own independent advice about uh, the sorts of considerations which would need to be um, resolved if we were in Uttlesford to take forward these delivery vehicle proposals for any new settlements that end up in an adopted plan. So it, it's not something that has been neglected. I accept that it's not hasn't been developed to the same extent that the North Essex authorities have done, but on the other hand, you know, we can learn and share some of that, that experience from the North Essex authorities. A bit like East Hearts, we might be grateful to be where we are rather than where they are, but uh, 
I take note of what you're saying, which is that what Mr Harbour has just articulated perhaps isn't sufficient in the public domain, and we would need to put that on the action plan. Yeah, so we will see more yeah, in yeah. the fairly near future. Yeah, yeah. okay. Thank so, you. The, so, so the action from that is that it should go on this list. Yeah, okay. Um, anything else? Councillor Dean. I am somewhat confused about this um, requirement, apparent requirement to treat uh, local plan preparation separately from garden villages, towns or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I might have got this wrong, but I thought that on the 20th of December the announcement that was referred to earlier uh, from the government about places like uh, Harlow North or Greater Gilson or whatever it's called, you know, it was specifically um, laid down or decreed that that was going to be um, a garden something or other and that um, it was part of the local plan process for the three district councils that meet in that area. So I, I, I just... On one hand, we're saying they're, two, they're separate. On the other hand, the government says they're the same. Or maybe that's not what they're saying. Can anybody clarify I'll, that? I'll let Mr. Harbour answer the technical points. But we have approached this differently to Braintree. Mr. Behenko-Smith would not be a happy man if we had made a predetermined decision to build uh, west of Braintree. We might still be building in West of Braintree, but we haven't made that decision yet. So um, it's right to, to differentiate between the local plan process uh, and the scheme to develop a garden city. And the point that, that Councillor Lodge was making is that um, you do need to have a plan in, in place for that kind of development. The decision as to which one and where is a separate but parallel programme. I think was the point you were making. Not quite. Um, <clears throat> if your local plan is proposing a new settlement, it's entirely appropriate for a planning policy perhaps to set out that it should be delivered in accordance with garden settlement principles. What's not appropriate is to say in your local plan that you're going to deliver that through a specific type of delivery mechanism, um, particularly if that's a delivery mechanism which is a local authority-owned company. Um, there is an indirect relationship because if you've got that sort of delivery vehicle in place, there is greater confidence in that particular development being delivered in accordance with um, the requirements of the local plan for housing need. Uh, in other words, there's less risk of it being land banked by a, um, a developer. Uh, so, so there may be an indirect benefit in there being a local authority owned company as the delivery vehicle, but you can't select between two sites on the basis of whether or not there's a local authority owned company involved in the delivery of the site. Councillor Mills. Just to clarify, isn't that exactly what Braintree have done, though? They have set up a separate company with uh, the council involved, if you like, as a delivery vehicle. And that is why they've paused their process as well and separated the two processes. Am I correct? Or? Well, given that we're not party to Lord Kershaw's report yet, I hope we will be, um, I can't comment on the reasons for Braintree's pause other than 
what they've published in, uh, in the media. So in summary, um, I'm not sure that we've got a date for the next PPWG. Uh, no, we don't yet. No. So we have a member briefing on Feb the 1st, and we've heard that the sustainability appraisal and uh, the rationale behind that will be a key element of that. And all of that will come out into the public domain. So, um, But I think members of this uh, group recognise that there's a lot of work going on. Um, they would like to have a very clear timetable and project plan and they would like meaningful discussion at the next meeting, which I think will be in, well, it will have to be in February, um, in terms of some of the items on this list. Would that be a fair summary? Just to clarify, I mean, we actually need a timetable with a date. Uh, you know, we need to get a date as to when we're going to get the timetable and a date as to when we anticipate it's going to finish. Yeah. And, and you know, a start and finish date. So yeah. we've got some parameters to work to, which yeah. we haven't got at the moment. No. Um, for legitimate reasons, but, we, but, but a, a perfectly fair request. And as I said at the beginning of all of this, I'm not going to have the same discussion in 2017 that we had in 2016 about project plans. So we're going to nail that one very quickly. Okay, if uh, you're content, we'll move to item six. The Chairman, just to say, I do have the 8th of February in my calendar. Where, is that not a scheduled meeting? I don't have a calendar with um, me, so I can't comment. So, so I think perhaps it relates to how we determine the paper on PPWG and member forum as well. That's something that you may probably want to revisit, depending on members' decision for that. We'll just hold that Feb the 8th, but we'll... Um, Get out of it. I'd like I'd like to have a date uh, um, agreed with members uh, certainly within the next uh, week for our next meeting. Okay, duty to cooperate update item six. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, we've already talked a little bit about duty to cooperate this evening, um, particularly in in Cambridge. Uh, Cambridge. Uh, the the paper is self-explanatory. Um, there's been a number of uh, co-op officer group meetings and co-op member group meetings which Councillor Barker has attended. Uh, we've uh, appended the minutes to those which are quite lengthy I'm afraid but hopefully again self-explanatory and um, Councillor Barker and myself will pick up any points that members want to raise. Thank you. Notwithstanding that we've touched on this a number of times already this evening, are there any other points on duty to cooperate? basically summaries of the meetings that have taken place. <coughs> Just while Councillor Dean is finding his notes, um, I, there, are, there were some items that were going to be taken um, in a close, subsequent closed meeting that I'm proposing to take um, in public, so we will follow on after this item.
I, I, I think I've got technology problems. Okay. Uh, is there a paper copy? Yeah. Oh, oh wait, of course it's in here. Yeah. No, I do have it. Yeah, but I haven't got my scribblings on it. That's <laughs> Just sorry about this. No, I can confirm I didn't have any questions. Sorry about that okay. delay. Okay, <laughs> right. So, going on to an agenda, as I say, that we're now putting in to public is uh, the first item that I want to cover is the employment land topic paper. Um, so, I don't know so, who is proposing to talk about that. So, sorry, Chairman, I was proposing to talk about that, but uh, sorry, there is a agenda item 7 in the public agenda beforehand about the, sorry, over the page, about the member workshop on the 1st of February, just reiterating that, Chairman. Yes, well, I think we've covered that. Okay. Yep. Okay, employment land topic paper. Yes, uh, Chairman. Gra Graham Holmes, to my left, will be introducing this item. Thank you. Yep. Now you're working. You were working. Yep. Thanks very much for that. So, uh, as you say, you summarised the um, office floor space and the uh, industrial land requirements over the period. Um, and um, it's very important, obviously, that uh, businesses are able to start and grow in Uttlesford. And um, I think we all have experience uh, of where the pressure points are on that at the moment. Are there any further comments that wish to be made? Councillor Mills? 
Councillor Mills. <coughs> yeah, just a quick one. Just to confirm there, the 16,600 office floor space and the 18 hectares was a result of Stansted's expansion and you didn't consider any other areas. Have I understood that correctly? Well, basically, you base that growth on the expansion of Stansted, but not any other industrial growth anywhere else within the district. It is partly of Stansted growth. It will be, it's, a, it's, it's part of the, uh, the baseline growth, um, which the EFM refers to, is part of the, the growth in the district as well as Stansted Airport. It's like all the figure of industrial land. Obviously, Stansted does have a, play a major part of that, so Stansted plays a part. If you look at the um, paragraph 2.2, you have the baseline assumption, which is a Growth, which did not take account of Stansted, so that's that growth which will be happening naturally within the district. But the uh, median growth scenario is what we've gone, it includes that 322, but also includes the uh, Stansted growth as well. So it's okay. all in all. No, that's fine, thank you. No other questions, so thank you. So there's further work going on to make sure that model is, uh, is right. Obviously, both up and down in terms of growth at Stansted and elsewhere. Yeah, yeah thank you. Good, thank you. Uh, the next item uh, that I want to cover is the, uh, the, member, the paper that's entitled Uttlesford Planning Policy Member Forum. Um, and we'll take the, uh, the, the current working group um, as it is. Um, there were seven points uh, there um, broadly outlining uh, how we are operating at the moment. Uh, I don't know whether anybody wishes to comment on that. I'm sorry, I can't take comments from the floor. No. You, you make a perfectly legitimate point. I'll have to, if I do it for you, I'll have to do it for everybody. But you have to make a fair comment. So if you're going to do that, you need to come to the microphone so everybody can hear you. Yes. You can speak to the microphone because it's now part of. It's been, I'm not going to stop you speaking, but I think to, to keep the practice right, you are a member of the public still, because this is part of the public meeting. But do come to the do come and make your point to the microphone. Yeah, you can be if you want to talk. You can. Um, as, far, as, as far as the members of the committee, do they have any comments on the current terms of reference? So, in addition to that paper, there, there's another paper, and I, I think there are two other aspects to this. The first is that it is right that members have the opportunity for a briefing. Uh, we've got one on Feb the 1st. Um, and I want to reassure the public that although those, those are four members, they're, they're closed meetings, uh, that uh, as quickly as possible um, items will come um, out into the public domain. So nothing is going to be done in secret. Uh, I don't want that. I know the rest of the committee doesn't want that either. But those member briefings are important so that we can keep members updated at every stage. At the end of the day, it will be the members who will be voting on the plan that is submitted to the inspector. So uh, it's, it's imperative that they understand all the nuances as we go. So um, 
But the planning policy working group will also be meeting as and when it has a, uh, an important agenda um, and um, we'll come on to um, the overall plan uh, in just a moment. But we clearly need to work both authoritatively, empirically, transparently and at pace. So all of those criteria have got to be addressed. Now, in addition to that, we're proposing that a small group that consists of the three party leaders plus the member responsible, Councillor Barker, um, are a focal point meeting on a uh, very regular basis, probably weekly, uh, just to ensure that everything is running smoothly under all the categories that we understand, that the pace is right, the subjects that wish to be covered are right, uh, that um, project plan is robust um, and so that basically is what the summary of the second paper is about um, it's something that we've discussed with the other um, the leaders they're content with this um, but obviously this group might have a view on that so any comment that you've got you would be feeding through your group leader of course well this working group is supposed to be apolitical. So why do we have to have the group leaders? Why can it not be said to everybody, if we've nothing to hide, we have to then rely on our leaders, and I'm sure they will, feedback to us, but why can't you tell us, rather than it, you doing meeting these three, if you like, because in, I want that, in that way? I, I actually don't find that democratic. Uh, and it's not what this committee started out as. And it's not in a substitute Well, yes, you've changed it because you said, and I sent an email today, and you mm. said categorically that all uh, meetings would be out in the open and be frank. If you're going to have meetings with the leaders who are then expected to come back and tell us, that isn't the same. And I'm sorry, you've changed it without asking the rest of this working group whether we might. And I actually do well, mind. Well, I'm asking you now, basically, so well, that's, sorry, that's why it's on I the agenda mind. and why I'm having it in public. Well, as you're but I don't asking want you me, I don't like it. I don't want you to in any way think that this is a substitute for anything that would go on the agenda of the planning policy working group. This, this, would, this would ensure that the whole process is, is, is running as it should be. It's not taking anything out of the public domain. It's just dialoguing on a very regular basis. And I take it absolutely this should not be political. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we have got to ensure that 39 members, or the majority of them, are content with a, uh, representing the community, are con content with a plan uh, that they're going to sign off. And to keep that process going, um, then it's right that we have a constant dialogue. But I, I can absolutely assure you, Councillor Lachlan, and I know you'd be the first to make sure that we remain open and transparent, and you know that I genuinely have that view as well. Can I come back? Yeah, of course. Well, uh, I, still, I still disagree. I, you're doubling up. If, if you have to tell three people, why can't you tell 39? I just really cannot see the point. I, and I really, it, 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 I'm sorry, I will not agree to this. It's about operational efficiency. Well, so, I don't. So, um, well, who decided that was efficient? Did you? No, it's a collective decision who, taken with who? the other two leaders. By, I haven't been part of that collective decision. But, who collectively decided it? 
the three leaders have suggested oh, that we... that's why I just said I didn't agree with the three leaders. No, but why you're entitled you not to us? agree. Well, that's I'm what sorry, we're discussing I'm now. Sorry, well, but we're going to go around in circles. You're going to do it your way, which I think is the wrong way, um, but you'll do it anyway. So, um, you know, I'm sorry, I don't agree, and I, you'll never make me agree to that. Does anybody else wish to comment? Councillor Dean. I mean, what, what, what became apparent in the autumn of last year to me, and, and, and I have had discussions with Councillor Lachlan, uh, and with officers to try and sort of work out a better way of moving forward, is that we got to October, um, and most of us were, one, really not clear where we were on the project plan because we didn't have a very clear project plan that we'd been following. And secondly, you know, that, that most members were not adequately informed about the pros and cons of, for instance, you know, the, the various new settlement sites to make, to make any sort of decision. Um, and, and so we, we've had this pause and, and now it's looking as though we've got, I don't know, uh, let's say in broad terms, a year added on to the, to the timetable. Um, and we've got to do it, it's quite clear to me, we've got to do it differently from now on to make sure that uh, one, the project is running properly and, and that's, and, and whereas we've got, as I, I'm aware that there's a, an officer group chaired by the chief executive that is progressing it from the officer's side, I think it's important that, that members are also tracking it in, in a more detailed way than you know, than would be of interest to everybody, and, and you know, particularly the public. Um, you know, it would be terribly boring to be talking about minutiae about what happened when and who's been, when, when is this report coming in and what the outcome is going to be from it and so on. Um, I mean, the idea of, of the three um, group leaders and Councillor Barker actually only came out from yourself an hour and a half ago, so I hadn't given any thought to who was going to be on this group. Um, but, but that's one side to it. In other words, it's, it's more regular short bursts to make sure that things are on track or flagging up or saying that, that seems to be going off track. What are you going to do about it? But the other side to it is, is, the, is, the, is the understanding of, 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 of the evidence. And, and I have had discussions as with um, Councillor Lachlan, that there will, it seems to me that there is a need for members who haven't got their head around a particular topic to be able to sit down with officers to, to, to probe and to question, to, 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 to sort out in their own mind before we come to public meetings, because it's quite clear that this is an enormous agenda and, and to be able to deal with all of it in meetings like this is, is, is impossible. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to think in addition to this that any member or group of members, I don't mean political group, I mean two or three from, from a particular ward, if they don't understand something then they should have the ability to come along and to talk in order to understand what it's all about. And, and well, help, I would hope that that would be so done in the members' briefing, well, because, well, because well, the yeah. idea of 39 members each going to these officers who are absolutely flat out... Well, no, I, don't, I don't suppose they will, but, but we need to... We no, need but I think, I think if it's something that, you know, 
I, I take your point. If somebody wanted clarity, of course they're going to try and support that. But I would hope that the key topics would be covered in the members' briefing, as well, of course, as a planning policy working group, which is, a, which is an advisory group to council. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not arguing with what you're saying, but uh, the, the, the idea of this is that we've got a weekly um, point uh, where we're absolutely on track on plans. So all the things you said and, and all the concerns yeah. that people have, we're, we're talking in a small group. An officer would very much be present uh, to, to, to make happen those concerns. Nothing developed as a concern. No, it's not it was a, raised and quickly dealt with. No, it's, and it's not about decision-making. I will be, the, first, I will decision be the first to be ringing alarm bells. If, this, if, this little mini-group is not going to be discussing yeah. the employment strategy you know, or whatever. I mean, that's, that's a planning policy working yeah, group. I, I, so the key decisions are absolutely as, as yeah. they were. This is just to make sure that everything is on track and that ev everybody mm. is, is, is in agreement with what is happening. That was the point of it. Just to, just to keep doing that all the time so that we never slip behind what we want to do. And, and if we identify something in those discussions that we think should come to this group, then of we'll course. make sure it happens. Of course. That, I think that's got to be the, that's got to be the point. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. So, so it's part of setting, in a way, helping to set the agenda I of want, this meeting I want to, to make sure and that we and the public know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I want to belt and brace the whole programme so that you've got transparency. Where necessary, you can have a, have, a, have, have a conversation and you can have some discussions for clarity before they go out into the public domain. Uh, and that we're all on the exactly, so everybody knows where they are on the agenda and nobody feels I'm worried about this because their worry has been shared. I want to cry now. <laughs> have a little cry and then sign up to it. Yeah, anybody else want to uh, speak? Just for clarity, um, if we'd agree to put this group together, presumably we can have substitutes. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah, very much so. I get a sense, I mean, I can. Councillor Redfern. Um, I, obviously, I've only just um, seen this myself, and um, I think. Um, not that I always want to take your side, Howard, but on this occasion I will, because I think it is really important that. Um, there are more meetings with members and officers and I appreciate the fact that you don't want to pull this whole committee together every time and I presume that other, other parties feel that they can trust their leaders to bring the information back clearly to them um, and if they've got any concerns then I presume they go to their leader and, and ask that question and for me I would feel a lot happier knowing that um, you four were meeting weekly with officers because I think that's perhaps um, that would have helped us in the process of, of where we've ended up with the pause in my opinion so I'm not allowed to vote on this but I, I think it would be a good thing Do we need to go to a vote or have I got a consensus? I've got a consensus Okay We'll go to a vote Those in favour of this group Please show. Okay, it's carried. Thank you. Um, right, the next item is the potential Regulation 18 preferred options. Um, you will remember uh, that uh, the last um, phase of the plan uh, was hitting the target 
of end March 2017 for a number of reasons, but including that if we didn't, there was a threat of a very heavy uh, fine around New Homes bonus, and also that if we didn't do the plan, somebody else would do it for us. Since then, uh, there has been clarity uh, in the autumn statement around the New Homes bonus, and um, plans have got to be in place by uh, the end of March 2018, before anything changes on New Homes bonus. And uh, Mr. Glenday, in particular, uh, has been having a very regular dialogue with DCLG, and he's welcome to speak himself in a minute, um, who say, we recognise uh, where you are on your plan, um, and basically carry on, and not least the conversations we've been having with PAS, with um, inspectors, uh, I, I think that recognition is particularly, uh, particularly strong. So this means, uh, well, we're past, uh, you, you know, we'd be really struggling to get in by the end of March uh, in any case, but this means uh, that that uh, guillotine has been lifted. And therefore, we can go, not we don't relax, as I said, there are four key criteria in this, and pace is one of them, uh, but we can obviously uh, take a little bit longer than we might otherwise have done. And... Um, it is not a statutory requirement, uh, but uh, very often uh, there are two uh, consultations. Uh, a, a statutory um, Regulation 19 consultation, which we were going to do starting on the 8th of November, if you remember. Uh, but there's also uh, an earlier consultation, which is a, regular, uh, a Regulation 18 consultation. And um, what this paper lays out uh, are the arguments why we might want to do that. Um, and um, clearly, if you do it, it will take at least two and a half months because you've got to complete the consultation. You then have to analyse the responses to consultation and you then may have to react to the responses to the consultation. So between two and three months, um, and bearing in mind that end of March 2018 really is a deadline, um, then we do need to bear in mind that we could take three months out of, out of our year. But from the Chair, I'm going to recommend that we put in a Regulation 18 consultation. Um, happy to have the discussion, um, but uh, I am going to recommend that because I think that's the right thing to do. I think it gives um, the constituents a second opportunity to talk about our plan. Uh, we get... Uh, a, a double dose of feedback and I think it's the um, now that we can before we couldn't uh, it's the right thing to consider so I put that to the group Councillor Dean well, I will second that um, the report that goes to scrutiny next Tuesday uh, from the, the um, consultant uh, for the planning advisory service that was one of the things that uh, is in that report and what what he said in, in because I did have a meeting with him as did Councillor Lodge um, was, was that it helps the public to understand what's going on because essentially what he's saying we had the consultation a year ago which had a map of blobs and lozenges and different colors and so on in other words they were what was called broad areas of search for the council to go from that very broad brush approach to looking at the district to specific sites 
and only some specific sites without the public having been able to take part in a further review of what is, is classed as the council's preferred options takes he thought would would and would have taken the council sorry the public by surprise in other words if we got a, gone ahead in November they'd have said where does all this lot come from just as I might say some of we members were thinking even though we haven't actually seen a draft plan where's all that lot come from so so I think I think from that point of view it, it re-engages us with the public which I think is important and, and, and adds that extra stage of thinking into the process and the opportunity for people to come back, both the development industry as well as the public, to say what they, what they think of it. So I, I certainly strongly okay. recommend we include it. Anybody else? So uh, are we all in favour? Okay. Chairman, sorry, just, just, just for, the, for the benefit of the public as well, I just want to make it clear that this is not a formal decision of the Council to take Regulation 18. That, that, could, that can only be done through the Local Development Scheme and through, through Cabinet. So, so what I'm taking away from this meeting, Chairman, is a recommendation from PPWG that we pursue this further Regulation 18 stage. Sorry, just, just, just to be clear on that point. And we have a, we have a Cabinet meeting on Thursday. So, okay, thank you for that. Um, that, I think, concludes the uh, items. Uh, there is one outstanding item uh, which I'd like to take um, as, a, as, as a member only uh, discussion. Uh, so, I would ask the general public if they could um, uh, leave us at this stage. But, yeah, no, we've done that already. Uh, but um, I thank you very much for your interest, as always, and um, I'm sure we'll see you at future meetings. So thanks very much.